Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. And this interview is sponsored by the Center for Projectics Research Southern Africa. I am your host Martin Mwamba and with me in studio is Kenneth Gondwe. Kenneth Gondwe, welcome to the program. Thank you so very much. And again we have Tim Martin uh, all the way from US. I think this is the second time you are coming to yes. Zambia, right? Tim, yes. welcome to Zambia. Oh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here again. All right. Now, I understand that uh, you guys are involved in what is called cult apologetics. Can you help our listeners to understand what you mean, especially by the term apologetics? Um, yes, uh, that that is a great question because if someone hasn't heard the term apologetics, we usually misunderstand it. We think that it means that we're apologizing for being Christians, like because that's what it sounds like. Apologetics, apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry for being a Christian, mm-hmm. but it, that's not what we mean at all. It comes from a Greek word apologia, which mm-hmm. means to make a defense for. And the verse that we often use when thinking about apologetics is First Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 15, where Peter says, In your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And the word apologetics is translated here as to make a defense. Mm-hmm. So as Christians, we are to make a defense to anyone who asks us about the hope that's within us. Okay, right. You have in addition. Yeah, so uh, Tim is using the word uh, to make a defense, but also it may mean to give an explanation. Okay. Um, a rational explanation. Um, it's like you, you love someone, you need to give a reason why you love them. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, it has to have data. You know, so mm-hmm. that uh, explanation is pretty much an uh, an apologetic. Okay. Um, yeah. And so, so we we are trying to understand the terms, and and we have gotten to understand what apologetics means. Now, now your involvement is with cult apologetics. What do you mean by cult? Um. Well, um. Usually, in most cases, when uh we talk about cults, kind of like you know, people usually think like. These are weird people, maybe coming, you know, with horns and mm-hmm. coming to eat their baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but w- w- what we mean by um, a cult basically is um, it, it could be a group, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it could be a whole church, you know, a congregation that subscribe to a doctrine or um, a set of beliefs that either distorts or rejects. A one or more of the um, essential teachings of the Christian faith. Um, by essentials, uh, I mean the, the fundamental core doctrines on which our salvation is founded on. Mm-hmm. So um, most of these folks will either reject one of it, um, they'll either distort it, um, and uh, or deny it altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so based on that, um, they're described as um, cults, but that does not mean that they're very bad people, maybe, you know, they're thieves, they're, mm-hmm. the, the basis on their belief, like, you know, the locus of their belief, it's their denial, their rejection or distortion mm-hmm. of the fundamental doctrines or the core doctrines of the Christian faith. 
opportunity to have something to add up to that. Yes, yes. It's, it's such an important distinction that we make sure we know we're, we're talking about the beliefs mm-hmm. of the group. We're not talking about their behavior. And yeah, some cults do some strange behaviors, but so do some Christian pastors mm-hmm. do some strange behaviors. Mm-hmm. So we're not focusing on what they're doing, mm-hmm. although oftentimes we can get some warning signs by things people are doing. But mm-hmm. we're thinking about their behavior. Their beliefs. Their beliefs. Um, okay. What do they say about, as Kennedy said, the essentials of the faith? Okay. Uh, there's many areas that Christians can disagree on, and it doesn't mean that we're not Christians. Like how things are going to play out in the end times, perhaps maybe the role of women in church. All, all these things we should be flexible on. Okay. Uh, but when it comes to, well, who is Jesus mm-hmm. and forgiveness of sin? What is the nature of God? These are the essentials that we need to make sure that we know, make sure that people in our churches understand. Right, right. Yeah, as 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 as, as Tim says, you know, there's a there's a saying which um, I love quoting. I think it's uh, from one of um, the reformers. Um, he said, "Unity in essentials, diversity in non-essentials, <laughs> in all things charity." By by the essential doctrines, we say these are the doctrines on which uh, our salvation is founded on. Mm-hmm. What that means is we also have non-essentials. Mm-hmm. But um, we must be very careful. By non-essentials, we don't mean to say they are not important doctrines. Okay, that's that's not what we mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's important. Yeah, that's interesting. One. Yeah, they're, they're, they're equally important doctrines. Uh-huh. Um, the church. But only that our salvation is not founded uh, on them. But essentially, we're talking about the, the, the nature of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, we believe Jesus is both man, hundred percent, and God, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is God? He's yes. triune. Mm-hmm. You know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three distinct persons, mm-hmm. unity without separation. You know, um, we, we we must we must affirm mm-hmm. um, these doctrines because they are equally important. If you miss out or you distort or you reject any of these things, then you are technically pushing yourself out of um, the the invisible church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if, if I get your explanation clearly, um, tend to think that uh, cults, they actually deviate from the orthodox uh, Christianity. Now, I understand that you are having a seminar uh, and, and you are dealing with understanding cults and heretics, yeah, heretical groups. Now, is there a difference between cults and heretics, or it's one and the same? Yeah, that, that, that is a tricky question. Um, oftentimes, well, the cult would be heretics. Sometimes we can have heretics in our own church, and that is hopefully something that within the church the pastors can deal with and the elders and understand if somebody is kind of going off on their own. But when uh, a heretical beliefs that somebody has starts to move out of the church and form into a group, mm-hmm. then that would what we would see as the beginning of a cult. Whereas a lot of cults, the leaders of those cults, had their beginnings inside a Christian church. And as they developed their ideas and the church tried to deal with them and they ended up leading, that's when the cult kind of formed around that. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, I I, I totally agree agree with him. As I said, you know, we we may not agree Mm -hmm. uh, on a lot of things as uh, believers, 
but we affirm the essentials. But you might have um, a member in the church, for example, who is really struggling with um, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's that's heresy. You know, mm-hmm. that that teaching is heretical. Mm-hmm. But then, as Timothy saying, the danger comes in when you leave the church now mm-hmm. and then you start gathering yourself, people around yourself, around that teaching, mm-hmm. around that particular false teaching. And then that becomes problematic and that's that's how cults in the history have been born. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um Okay. So how then do one identify a cult? Well that's that's definitely the important question here. Mm-hmm. And uh a, a lot of people get offended sometimes when we use the word cult and I think often it's because they don't understand what we mean by that. And Christians have tried to come up with other words besides cults, because it does have this negative idea to it. And we've tried, and there just isn't anything that's worked. Like sometimes if you say new religious movement, well, how new does it have to be to be categorized this? Mm-hmm. Or pseudo-religious movement. But let, let's, let, let's put one definition. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, the Apostle Paul warns the Corinthians in verse 4. He says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel. And so, now, this is kind of going on a basic definition, but this is this is a good starting point. Someone who is teaching a different Jesus with a different spirit and a different gospel. Mm-hmm. These are huge areas. This is These are not minor points. If you have a different Jesus, that false Jesus can't save you. Mm-hmm. And the cult will coalesce around these ideas of the false Jesus, a false spirit, and a false gospel. Yeah, just as someone said, you know, if you put your faith in uh, mm-hmm. a counterfeit Jesus, mm-hmm. or, or what you have is, uh, you know, a counterfeit salvation, mm-hmm. you oh. know, and uh, a, a counterfeit salvation, you know, you can't serve, you know, um, but I, I, I think we, we must affirm um, who Jesus is, you know, the, the, the biblical Jesus, and, mm-hmm. and the scriptures again and again warn us, you know, um, against those who distort this truth. A very clear example I, I, I give is in Jude. Verse 4. Yeah. Jude, Jude writes to, to the believers uh, during his day and he says, verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. And the last part of this verse is very important. Which faith is it? <laughs> the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Mm-hmm. So, um, in other words, what Jude is saying is there's, there's a body of truth, you know, which was given to the church, mm-hmm. to the saints, and he's saying that's the faith we should contend for, you know. Uh, trouble comes in when, you no, know, you go uh, outside the bounds of what was already given, and then you start bringing new things, you mm-hmm. no, I have a strange liberation, mm-hmm. no, God taught me at night, you know, these are dangerous places. When you hear that, it's time to run. Mm-hmm. It's time to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah, indeed, that's that's very serious. Our dear listeners, you are listening to a special interview, which is brought to you by the Center for Projectics, Research Southern Africa, and we are discussing the cults and uh, the necessity of us evangelizing the cults and trying to understand. And with me in the studio is Kenneth Gondway, and uh, Tim Martin from U.S. What are the implications of people belonging to the cults? There are cults out there that will 
We definitely acknowledge do good things for people. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, help people who are in need, people who don't have money or part of a disaster, um, people uh, uh, who need food. And so our goal isn't to say that people who are in cults, well, these cults are just absolutely terrible organizations. There's, there's no way anybody can get anything good out of them. Mm-hmm. But the, the problem is what it really impacts is a person's eternal destiny. So things can be improved for somebody in this lifetime if they're in a cult. Mm-hmm. But it's after this life that we're concerned about mm-hmm. uh, for them. Because if they have a false gospel, which mm-hmm. cults do, and they're following a false Jesus... It has eternal implications. They're not, after they die, they're not going to find themselves in the paradise that they believed that they were going to be. Mm-hmm. And we want warning signs up there for them. We want to protect people from these false beliefs and point to the real Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I think, um, um, as I've been saying, I think we must always remember again and again that when we talk about cults, we're, we're not talking about these folks being very bad people, mm-hmm. you know, like evil people. Actually, um, for your own information, these are some of the nicest people you will meet uh, in your communities. They'll be very generous, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, they'll be very gracious, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, um, they'll be very kind people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but again, when the scriptures warn us that beware of um, wolves in sheep's clothing, mm-hmm. Actually, these apparent good things, you know, the generosity, the kindness, the grace they may be showing you, actually, that's, that's the, the sheep's clothing. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's something they hide in, mm-hmm. you know. Um, underneath that sheep clothing, there's a doctrine, and, and that doctrine mm-hmm. is itself destructive. And mm-hmm. as Tim is saying, we are concerned about the eternal destiny of mm-hmm. believers here. Mm-hmm. And um, if you, you, you commit yourself to a doctrine that is inherently heretical mm-hmm. and false and historical, mm-hmm. and that's, that's problematic. That's problematic. Is the salvation for a person at stake when he belongs to the cult? I Is it possible to be in the cult and get a genuine sin? You know, usually when we talk about this, I, I tell people I'm not the Holy Spirit. But then, <laughs> I am not the Holy Spirit. But then, God has been gracious enough to give us his word. Uh-huh. And in his word, God himself has prescribed, uh-huh. has prescribed what uh, it takes for man to be saved. Mm-hmm. And if you deny that which God has given us, you know, for for someone to be saved, then I think it's distraction. You know, Tim, do you have something? Yes. That, yeah. Yes. Um, um, and this is a, a question I often asked, well, can the person be a Christian who is in the cult? And I would say they could be, but not by adherence to what the cult is teaching. Mm-hmm. If, if the cult has a false doctrine of salvation, which so far I've studied many, many groups, and yeah, that, that's what they do. They have a false doctrine of salvation. So if they are adhering to what that church is teaching, then there is no salvation there within that. But I do believe that Christians can be deceived by the cults and join and participate without realizing exactly what they're involved in. And they can be even committed to it. Mm-hmm. And if they are a Christian, if they are saved, they still are saved because that's the way our God operates. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. saved is, is you have this guarantee of forgiveness. And the reason why I hold this position is, uh, Kennedy mentioned this earlier, about all, all the warnings in the Bible about false teachers. Uh, in the New Testament, from what I understand, every book of the New Testament, there's a warning about false teachers, false prophets, mm-hmm. false spirits, 
over and over and over. And who is it warning? It's warning Christians. It's not warning the atheists, look out for false prophets. No, it's warning Christians. And why is it warning us? Because God is telling us we can be deceived. Mm. And so we need to know and beware of what these false teachings are. And if we're not aware, we can't beware. And if we're, we can't beware, we might be deceived by it. We might think this group maybe has the truth and slowly get indoctrinated and go into it. And uh, again, just to add upon that, you know, the, the, the implication of that deception, again, especially for believers, <laughs> we are talking to believers here to be, to be careful. Um, the implication of that deception is, you know, the theology of the cult actually keeps people from seeing and enjoying the beauty of Christ himself and his glory. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you'll be saved, but then, um, like, you'll be kept away from seeing just how beautiful, you know, the, the work of Christ is for us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, his glory. I, I like, you know, the words of you know, faith. What was the chief end of man? You know, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So there's an aspect of enjoying Mm -hmm. God and his glory as we dwell in um, what God himself has revealed for us. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and the the cults are good at switching that though to where it makes it look like what we're saying is the bad news. What the Bible is saying is the bad news. Because instead of focusing on God, it's focusing on ourselves. The cults want us to, wants, they want to appeal to our ego, mm-hmm. to our pride. You know, you can do it. You can make yourself worthy. Um, you can attain all these wonderful things after this lifetime. There's no end to, to what you can achieve. And that, may make a person feel good temporarily as we look at ourselves, what we can do, what we can grow, and what we can achieve. But the truth of the gospel points us to Jesus and how wonderful he is and what he has done for us in our place. Mm. And it makes us feel bad a little bit because the true gospel makes us realize that we are sinners. Mm -hmm. We can't do anything of our own to save ourselves. If we even try to add anything of our own, Mm. it Mm. takes down from the gospel. It exalts Christ, the true gospel, and lets us know where our place is in his kingdom. Oh, yeah. That's that's, that's good. So, apart from the biblical definition of a cult, in what other ways do cults exhibit their traits in society? And by that I mean the sociological characteristics if in of a cult. Maybe before Tim comments, I um, can't remember uh, the theologian who wrote this and uh, I, I just found it very beautiful and um, he said, if you follow any theologian, pastor, prophet or apostle mm-hmm. and that he, she is beyond critique or you can never disagree with him or her on any particular point or if there is no way he could possibly be wrong about anything, then you should be worried. Yes. Yeah, you you may yeah. just got yourself into, into a, a possible cult. Yes, yes, and this this would definitely be one of our characteristics <laughs> of a cult. Uh, if if you're talking with somebody and you, you realize maybe they're quoting their pastor more than the Bible, yeah, there, that should be a warning flag right there. So, Martin, with your question about the sociological characteristics, that's one thing that would be a warning sign to me is how do they talk about the leaders? in their group are they without question mm-hmm. um, are the, is, is this person divinely inspired is it on the level of scripture but as far as other sociological characteristics um, they say that they tell the group the cults tell the group you're, you're not supposed to look at any outside information because we're the only ones that have the truth mm-hmm. and so if you read anything on the outside mm-hmm. well then that can't be from God and it'll hurt you spiritually Mm-hmm. And that makes it difficult for people inside the cult to um, really be able to evaluate the group that they're in. Because if you can't look at anything critical of you, 
you're never going to realize the part of the group you're in. As Christians, it's okay for us to look at outside information. What what do people say about Christians? And if anything, we should embrace that because sometimes we'll realize where we've gone wrong when people see that we're doing something weird or wrong and we look it through their eyes. That's okay to do, but a cult is going to isolate their people from the outside world mm-hmm. and say, no, only listen to us. Don't listen to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Don't read anyone else's mm-hmm. literature, magazines, any kind of publications. It's only our group that can tell you who the truth is, so don't listen to those. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, another very key feature mm-hmm. um, you should be very worried about when you hear, usually most of these um, groups, they'll claim that we are the only true church. Yes. Um, um, you, you talk of this group, they'll tell you, no, we are the only true church, maybe because we are the true creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the only true church, maybe because we have the right transition of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, the, the moment you hear such no um, expression that we are the only true church. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone else is wrong except us. Then I think you must be you must be worried. Um, again, you know, most of these uh, groups you 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 will see that they, they they are led by you know an authoritarian, very charismatic leader, leader mm-hmm. and um, this leader actually controls the group. You know, using what he thinks is right. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of brainwashing. You know, like uh, clear techniques to brainwash people, mm-hmm. uh, keeping uh, the congregants from um, from reading any other literature apart from the literature that group. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, produces. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was a time, Tim. I remember I was talking to one of uh, the guys here in Kitwe, mm-hmm. and um, I asked him, "Hey, if I give you a piece of literature." Are you going to read? Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking about the Bible, mm-hmm. you know. He, he gave me his literature. I was willing to read it, yeah. but then I said, "If I give you my piece of literature, are you going to read it?" Yeah. He, he told me, "No, we are not encouraged, you know. Um, unless mm-hmm. if I take this literature to my leader at church, my elder at church, and then they read it, they read mm-hmm. through it. If it's okay, they can give it to me, and um, I read through it also after they um, recommend it." Mm-hmm. So all I'm saying is. There's no free thinking, there's no freedom in mm-hmm. most of these cultic groups. There's no free thinking where people can think through things as um, as uh, people created in God's image and likeness. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's just not that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of the same tenants that they portray, let's unpack about their theology and, and lifestyle, all these cults. And you, Kennedy, you have been in Zambia for a long time. I want you to contextualize in Zambia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, people are aware of all these uh, cults and the like. Okay, well, um, in terms in terms of theology, for example, um, you you hear them. Uh, they, they will tell you, for example, um, you know, uh, Jesus. You know, he's not. You no, know, we believe Jesus of the Bible. He's both human, hundred mm-hmm. percent, mm-hmm. and divine. He's God, hundred percent. The two natures in one person. That's how the Bible describes Jesus. But then you meet these other folks, you no, know, these other groups. They will tell you, ah, no, he was not God; he was just a human being, mm-hmm. just unique. Others will even say he was Michael the Archangel, mm-hmm. you know. So, in other words, reducing the person of Jesus, subtracting from the person of Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's the biblical indicator that you no, know, here it's um, it's dangerous here. Uh, sometimes also we we also know what the Bible says regarding 
salvation you know Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 for by grace we've been saved through faith yeah. and this is not your own doing it's mm-hmm. a gift from from God mm-hmm. it's, it's faith in Christ faith with an object and the object of that faith is Christ Jesus and you hear most of these folks coming to tell you that you know uh, even when you have faith Mm-hmm. But then you can't be saved if you don't belong to our group, you know. Mm-hmm. So in other words, salvation is found only within their their group. Mm-hmm. One. Mm-hmm. Secondly, they also tell you, um, well, for you to be saved, for you to be a good Christian or a real Christian, you need to worship on a particular day, mm-hmm. you know. So if you go to church on Sunday or you go to church on Wednesday, you worship on Wednesday or mm-hmm. or Sunday, then uh, you are not. A real Christian. If you want to be a real Christian, you must worship on this particular day. We know what Paul said in Colossians. Tim, you remember that verse? Yes. Yeah. 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 I don't have it off the top of my head. Was it Colossians two? I think it is. Yes. Or maybe yes. verse sixteen. But um, so this is Colossians chapter uh, two, verse sixteen, uh, as, as, as Tim was uh, was putting in, and this is what Paul is writing to the Church of Colossians. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Verse 17, he says, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the substance. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very clear. Mm-hmm. And it's not about days. It's not about the food or the drink. Um, all these things were just mere shadows. But salvation is found in the substance of Christ. But you realize that most of these folks will tell you, no, no, you, you may have Christ. You may have, you know, faith, you may have, you know, you may have the grace, but if you don't come to a church, you're out. If you don't worship on the day that we worship, say for example on Saturday, mm-hmm. then you are out. You know, those are some of the techniques I think we should always be on the lookout for. Yes, yeah. I, I've actually had someone tell me that it was just, I don't remember the terms he used, but it was blasphemy and evil to suggest that we should worship God on Sunday. Whereas I've said, I think we should worship God every day. I don't, I don't think that we are limited to a day that we can we should worship God, and the other days we shouldn't. I mean, we shouldn't worship a day differently. It's not that we're going to worship Monday or worship Sunday. It's mm-hmm. God that we're worshiping, and that can happen at any time. But w- one other thought I was thinking that as as Kennedy was talking, definitions are so important mm-hmm. in this kind of work. I, I don't want the listeners to misunderstand and, and think that cults will say, oh, you need works in order to be saved. They usually don't say that. Instead, they will use the kind of language we're using, oh, it's by grace, but they will change what grace is. They, they will say you're saved by grace. But you've got to make sure that whether it's what we're talking about, you need to go to church on a specific day, which many groups do that. It's not just one. There's several. We talked about one last night. We're going to talk about one tonight. So it's grace, yes, but how do you get that grace? Mm -hmm. You need to, well, if you do all these things that God said, then he will give you his grace. So Mm -hmm. they're using the terms that we use, Mm -hmm. but they change the definition. So our vocabulary but their dictionary. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So uh, s- sometimes they'll also add, like, oh, okay, you, you may have all these things. No, salvation is by grace. But then you also need to call God by his right name, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, God has a name. Mm-hmm. If, 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 if you have to be saved, this God is called maybe Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Or maybe this God must only be called Jehovah. Mm-hmm. If you call him any other name, mm-hmm. you know, then um, this is not the biblical God. 
and you know they, they, they will come up with all these stipulations they will come up with all these extra biblical stipulations and impose them on um, on their Christians and um, the Christians will be committed to them and they will be following that thinking they are doing the, the will of God mm. yeah okay. alright that's, that's, that's very helpful Pastor Tokomanza and I do a program on radio called Biblical Christianity and one of the questions we often get has to do with the fourth command and both command from the digger of the Ten Commandments and, and people ask to say are we supposed to keep all the Ten Commandments? If we're supposed to keep all of them, then why have we only removed one command and then the rest uh, we want to keep them? Are we being faithful to the scripture? So I want to take this opportunity from you men who are well vested in apologetics, specifically on this issue of the fourth command which is keeping the Sabbath day holy. When we are not following that, are we kind of not being faithful to the scripture? That is, you are asking some really good questions, so if listeners hear us pause after your question, sometimes we've got like, oh man, how this is good. So let me start with Christians. This is an area where Christians are diverging a little bit on their understanding of the Sabbath. <laughs> so I won't say that my view is definitely the only one that's acceptable. But the one thing that I can say is that this Saturday is the historic Sabbath. Uh, the, the Jewish people today, they, they will tell you they know that Saturday is the Seventh-day Sabbath. <laughs> and those there will be some Christians today, many groups or cultic groups that will say that it is that exact day is the only one <laughs> that you can observe the Sabbath. Whereas many Christian traditions decided that they're going to worship God on Sunday, <laughs> some of them will say that that is the Sabbath on a Sunday. I personally don't think that it is. It's still, it is the historic day is the Seventh day, is Saturday. <laughs> However, I don't believe Christians are under the obligation to keep the Sabbath because, but it says that the Sabbath is the sign of the covenant and the Ten Commandments are basically the stipulations of the Mosaic Covenant. If Israel is obedient to these this covenant between them and God that they will be able to live in the promised land. And the Fourth Commandment is the sign or the seal of the covenant. And as New Testament, New Covenant Christians were not under the Old Covenant that doesn't mean now it's okay to go out and steal and have idols and all the other parts of the Ten Commandments. God still wants us to love him, pursue him not have idols and do all these things mm-hmm. but we don't need to keep the sign of the old covenant because that's not the covenant we're under mm-hmm. so God still wants our love and devotion and morality mm-hmm. but we don't we're not under the covenant of the Old Testament well thanks Tim um, usually when uh, people ask me this question um, you know just the, the clear reading of scriptures Mm. Um, you realize that um, the seventh day, Saturday, as a day of worship, mm-hmm. you know, um, it goes back way in creation. Uh, it's a clear thing. But then, notice this God created the world and everything in it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And on the seventh day, he what? He rested. You know, let's be very careful here. This is not a command. God is explaining what he himself did, mm-hmm. you know? He's not like saying, hey, no, commanding it to his people. He is, it's a narrative. God is, you know, explaining what he did after, bent after the, the work of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's creation first, mm-hmm. and then rest come later on. Mm-hmm. And we read the scriptures, we realize that, you know, the Sabbath issue is very silent in the scriptures, you know. Mm-hmm. Next time we hear about Sabbath again, it's in the Exodus, I think it's 15, and then Exodus uh, 19. And then the context there again, you know, God has redeemed Israel. 
mm-hmm. you know, from Egypt, from captivity. Now they are going to the promised land, and before God gives them um, the law, mm-hmm. you know, what does it say? Chapter 19 of Exodus. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptian and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession amongst all people. Again, you know, the Ten Commandments, in which the Fourth Commandment is part of it, is being given on the basis of God has already redeemed these people. You know, redemption already happened from Egypt. Now they come on the foot of Mount Sinai. He gives them the law. He gives them the Decalogue. Mm-hmm. And in that Decalogue, there is even the fourth commandment. So here's the thing now. Most cows will tell you, you need to obey the Sabbath in order for you to be saved. Mm. But Sabbath law was given to Israel after redemption from Egypt. Yep. <laughs> and God is saying, because I have redeemed you. Mm-hmm. Therefore, this is why the law. So again, you know, we come to the New Testament. You see that the, the, the first century church, you know, uh, uh, they worshipped on the first day of the week. Mm. You know, again, it was after great work of redemption and the resurrection of Christ Jesus, and then based on that, they started gathering, uh, gathering together on the first day of the week. So in either way, in creation, there's the work of creation. Mm-hmm. And then Sabbath rest. God Himself is resting. Mm-hmm. In Exodus, there's the work of redemption, and then later on, the law is given, mm-hmm. including the fourth commandment. And in the New Testament, work of Christ having accomplished all that He came to do, He resurrects, and then the church starts gathering on the first day of the week. I, I don't want to get dogmatic about it. I believe I think the first day, of the week, which is Sunday, is the Christian day of worship. Mm-hmm. And even if a, a Christian came to me one morning and says, "Okay, I want to worship on Saturday." You know, as long as it does not say if you worship on Sunday, you will not be saved. Or if he says if you if I'm a better Christian, or I'll be more saved than you because mm-hmm. I worship on Saturday, I'll be okay. Well, one thing I want to throw in there as well as Kennedy mentioned on the seventh day, God rested. Uh, what some people will say is that this idea of Sabbath was then rooted in the creation account. That this is the pattern that God set up. We work for six days and then we rest on the seventh day like God did and that is the Sabbath and so this was supposedly kept the Sabbath was kept all the way up until the Ten Commandments were given and then are supposed to continue throughout three to now however that's a misreading of what happens in the creation count mm-hmm. yes God worked six days on the seventh day when he rested it doesn't mean that he just rested on the seventh day and then started work again on the eighth day the, the, the idea of him resting is that he ceased the work of creation at that point and his rest continued mm-hmm. onto the eighth day night day, tenth day. His work of creation was over on the seventh day. So there, there wasn't actually a pattern that was set up in the creation account. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, uh, unless the, the pattern is supposed to be that on the seventh day we stop working and we don't have to keep going after that. No, we start working again on the eighth day. Just to add up, Jesus says, come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Yes. Yeah. The ultimate rest is found in Christ. Thank you. Thank you very much. I did needed to bring it out because it keeps on turning on radio every time. And yes. thank you uh, for that clarification. Then, how do we, how do you think cults penetrate churches, mislead people? Especially, how do they convince people? And I'm asking this because as some people who have joined cults, they're actually intelligent people. They are smart and the like, but they have joined this cult. So, how do these cults actually penetrate churches and mislead? This is, this is a common question and it's 
it's important, especially the way you phrase that, because we, we think, well, the, these cults, it seems so obvious. How can anybody be smart and join something? Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at that in the reverse. Are we Christians because we're smart? No. It, hopefully we don't think, oh, because because I'm so smart, I figured out who Jesus is and trusted in him. Absolutely not. It was because of the spiritual blessings of God that we were even able to understand the gospel. And in saying likewise, it doesn't mean that somebody's not smart if they don't receive Jesus or if they get deceived by a cult. It's then a spiritual problem. Anyone, it doesn't matter how smart you are, mm-hmm. can be deceived and brought into error. And as far as how, I mean, there's many things that we could talk about with mm-hmm. how do cults penetrate the church. One way I think of it is for whatever need that you have, whatever station of life that you're in, there's a cult out there that will exploit that. Say if you have a family member died, somebody might come to your door and knock on your door and say, uh, you know, it wouldn't be nice to see that person after this life and um, hold out there for you some kind of hope of seeing a family member again. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would, you have your guard down because you're in pain and you're hurting, or perhaps you are in a very, there, there are some people out there that are in cults that have many PhDs after their names, who've actually even started cults, who have doctorate degrees. And maybe they will appeal to those who are very smart and present very convincing, very intellectual arguments, and that you can be drawn in that way or whatever it is, wherever you are in life, there's somebody who wants to exploit that. If you're in college, maybe there's a cult. Well, there's definitely cults out there that want to appeal to the college age kids, mm-hmm. or there's cults that are designed to go after people who are elderly and draw them in through there. So wherever you are, there's a need that you have that cults will try to exploit and use that to draw you into their fold. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it, it's from, it, to, to put this another way, uh, I think each one of us is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Is very vulnerable to um, to joining a cult. Um, as, as Tim is saying, you know, um, these folks actually will take advantage of our personal uh, vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I had uh, I had a neighbor, a neighbor a couple of years ago, and um, he lost his wife and um, financially uh, financially wise he wasn't doing very well mm-hmm. you know losing the wife and then he had uh, an eight months baby behind and you can tell life was very difficult you know for him and um, a county group nearby you know they offered no we can be taking care of your baby as you go for work and uh, they would visit him give him fellowship and you know um, even sometimes give him food. As, as we say, they can be very generous sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, before he knew it, that's how um, he got drawn in it. Because to him, these are very caring people, you know. So this is the tendency for most cult groups. You know, when they're just coming to you for the first time, they'll be like, they're naturally very nice people, you mm-hmm. know. Um, they'll promise, you know, a lot of things. And usually they will not... Um, expose like the entire theology that they subscribe to mm-hmm. um, they'll be uh, they'll come to you very much uh, on a surface way and um, they'll appear very attractive to you mm-hmm. Jude um, uh, verse 4 Jude the brother of uh, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ he, he gives us another perspective here and hear what Jude is saying for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation mm-hmm. in other words what Jude is saying is you know these folks will not come and say hey hello 
<laughs> I don't believe in your Jesus. <laughs> you know, I don't believe yeah. in the Trinity. They, they, they will not do that. They, they, they will creep and they will be in our midst in, in a way that we may not notice them at all, but um, in, the, in the boardroom they're, they're teaching really very uh, destructive heresies. Just, just one more example. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, I belonged to this church, a very good Bible-believing church, mm-hmm. you know, and then we received a visitor. He had come from another country, and then, you know, he was very generous. He, was, he would give most of his money to the church, and uh, later on, he gained the trust of everyone else in the church. Before he knew it, he started holding Bible studies at his house, mm-hmm. you know, targeting the youth. Mm. And guess what they were discussing? Mm-hmm. The Bible study was about analyzing the pastor's sermon on Sunday, and um, they were just kind of like disagreeing with the pastor in everything he was he was he was saying. Uh, before we knew it, you know, the youths were rising up in the church like, no, uh, I think we need to change a lot of things. We don't think the pastor is being biblical. The truth is, heresy had been sown in the church through just that one particular uh, individual mm. so yeah i think we we need to be very careful about like you know all these um tactics and um cults are very clever and intelligent subtle and very cunning they are mm-hmm. not dumb they're mm-hmm. smart dear listeners this is a special interview brought to you by center for apologetics research southern africa and in the studio with me is kenneth gondway and uh, tim martin from us and we are discussing the, uh, the issue of the cults and how we can actually reach out to them one of the arguments that people make toward the issue of apologetics specifically when dealing with the cults is the issue of Christians not preaching love. Some people think we should just preach love. Calling others cows or force is actually unloving in that case. So don't you think you people are majoring in a mind? Yeah, this, this is a common objection. And one thing I, I would challenge any listeners that are, are thinking that, well, this sounds like a mean ministry to be involved in, I would I would actually come out tonight and see for yourself and see, is this what we're about? Are we teaching people hate? No, not, not at all. In fact, what I want to do is help Christians understand that these are the people that we're supposed to love. See, when you meet somebody on the street and they say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian and yes, I believe in the Bible, we need to make a decision. Is this somebody that we fellowship with mm-hmm. or is this somebody that we evangelize? Mm-hmm. Because just someone says that I believe in Jesus or even to the point of I believe Jesus is God, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't always mean that that person actually is a Christian. Maybe they've been deceived into another group mm-hmm. and we need to know how to lovingly understand where they're coming from and how to talk to them about the truth. And we can't do that if we have no idea who they are, what they believe. Mm-hmm. We find out they blow, believe, belong to such and such church. If we have no idea what that church is about, mm-hmm. then we might assume that, well, okay, I guess fellowship is the only thing option to us. But we need to know more than that so we can lovingly out, 
outreach to them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, on the argument that we major in the minors, um, mm-hmm. uh, again, uh, continue with Jude, verse 4, the second part of verse 4, um, what does it say? It says, ungodly people mm-hmm. who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality mm-hmm. and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the denial of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ is a minor thing. Mm-hmm. Amen. I don't equally think the distortion of the free grace we receive in Christ, the distortion of that grace into sexuality, I don't think it's a minor thing mm-hmm. at all. And, um, you know, based on this, you know, again and again, you know, um, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, uh, He didn't just sit back and say, okay, regardless of uh, what you believe in, uh, come, I'll, I'll, I'll embrace you, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he rebuked the Pharisees of His day, you know. The apostles, again and again in the scriptures, you know, um, the apostle John, the, the book of, he warns his hearers against the Nicolaitans, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the Apostle Paul, he warns his hearers against the circumcision party. You know, the apostles are you no know, pointing out error, and um, I, I don't think as believers we should be indifferent. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, I don't think we are being um, unloving. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe as uh, the Apostle Peter said, mm-hmm. you know, in First Peter chapter three, mm-hmm. the second part. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we do that, Peter says we should do it with gentleness and love. Our focus really is not just to show someone that you know they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Our, our, our focus, of course, is the gospel. One at will in the gospel. But then, uh, if someone is on the on the wrong, we wanna point that out. In the words of John Calvin, you no, know, he said a good minister must have two voices. Uh, a good shepherd, mm-hmm. shepherd of the sheep, must have two voices. Mm-hmm. One voice for calling the sheep to the greener pasture, mm-hmm. you know, or another voice for warding off and chasing the wolves that are endangering the flock. A good shepherd must possess both of these voices, and the scriptures they pro- provide both voices. So, in relation with that, from your personal experiences, what do you recommend to be the best way to reach out to the cows in general with the gospel? And so, on the same, what would you advise Christian on what to avoid? when they are reaching out to, to the cult. Because I want to believe that the goal is is lovingly reaching out to them with the gospel. Right. It should be actually evangelization. Right. So what would be the best way to reach out to them? And, and, and this is why our ministry, the Centers for Apologetics Research, this is why we're here. <laughs> we want to give out information to, to people. You know, we, we do research about you know, uh, these destructive heresies and want to equip uh, the church. You know, um, if you reach out in knowledge, with knowledge, knowing what someone believes in, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think you'll be more careful, you'll be more sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've, I've met a lot of Christians who are reaching out to people who believe differently from them, mm-hmm. and they have been hugely insensitive. And in the long run, they have won the debate, but they have lost the soul. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's that's not why we are here, and we don't want us to fall into that error. We we want to reach out to our brothers and sisters, you know, um, in love, mm-hmm. um, knowing the gospel is the only way that will bring reconciliation and peace between them and God. Mm-hmm. It's the only the gospel, and we can only do that in evangelism, you know. Um, the church, I, I, I think the churches must promote, must equip 
uh, they are believers to reach out. We don't have to see any cops, <laughs> you know. They, they, they know better about us, actually. They know better. Yes. They study our theology. <laughs> it's us who don't want to know more about them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's why we are here, we are with seminar here today, <laughs> and uh, we just want to equip believers so that they know really the working world, what kind of worldview is working behind their back, and maybe with that knowledge, <laughs> I think we can be more effective of mm. course, um, mm. prayer-free, mm-hmm. by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Yeah. I would add in here that um, as we study cults, we need to keep in mind it's it's one thing to do to to study and understand where they're coming from, and a different thing when we get into the engagement of talking to them. Uh, oftentimes, Christians will look at okay, this this particular cult believes this 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 this. And then we'll go to the cultists and say, okay, you're wrong because of this, 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 this. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that, that's, that usually doesn't go very far. And sometimes it might. I mean, it, God can use anything. I'm, I'm a firm believer that God can do anything. It's, anything is possible with him. But what we want to do is once we kind of understand their worldview and understand where they're coming from, mm-hmm. then engage with them. Mm-hmm. Not just like act like we're rebuking or talking down to them. Mm-hmm. And the key is asking questions. Like, I, I've understood that, that you believe such and such. Can you tell me about that? Mm-hmm. Um, is, that's interesting. Well, where does this belief come from? Asking mm-hmm. questions. And oftentimes what we'll find out as Christians is we're not quite as aware about some of their positions than we think we are. Because not always will the individual cultists understand everything that we might have studied about them. So don't go into the conversation thinking, I know more about their beliefs than they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes we come away looking really bad because we missed a whole other part. So be honest about your questions when you ask them. Mm-hmm. So what do you believe about this? Mm-hmm. One famous apologist said that it, if I had an hour to spend with an unbeliever, mm-hmm. I would ask questions for 50 minutes and then talk about the gospel for 10. Whereas we want to just go for the throat you know, and tell the gospel. But what we need to do is stop and think about this person as a person. Respect them, love them, care about them mm-hmm. before we step in with our truth and try to hammer them over the head with the Bible. We need to love them and treat them as such. You know, man, we are winding up soon to questions in many In light of the, the same problem we are discussing, um, so the question would be, how then should believers prepare themselves against this problem of cults? And specifically, what are some ways that our listeners can uh, develop biblical discernment as they are dealing with the cults? Well, um, <laughs> thank you for bringing up this question. I think, I think it's, um, it's a huge question. It's, it's an excellent question as, uh, as we wind up. Um, let me begin uh, with a negative. Uh, usually when we talk about discernment, I think it, it, it's one of the most confused words and misunderstood words mm-hmm. uh, in Christian circles, especially um, in Zambia today. Um, what people think by discernment is um, uh, get your Bible, you know, leave it, you know, on the on the couch, and go to your room, lock it up, start praying mm-hmm. 24 hours, you mm-hmm. know, meditating, you know, and hoping. God is going to give you some special revelation about a particular issue. By and large, 70%, 80% of uh, the majority of Christians, they, they think that's how discernment comes. And I say, no, discernment is based on God's word. It, for me, it doesn't matter how, how many hours 
know you, you spend in meditation mm -hmm. if you don't read god's word you're as vulnerable as anyone else out there mm -hmm. you know um in acts of the apostles you know the, the apostle commends the, the the christians from berea mm -hmm. you know as paul was talking as paul was speaking these believers from berea they kept searching the old testament mm -hmm. searching the scriptures to see if what paul was saying was true mm -hmm. they didn't care whether you're an apostle or not mm -hmm. but if what you're saying is not not mm -hmm. in tandem with the word of God, mm -hmm. we're not going to take it. That's the basis of discernment, mm -hmm. you know. So Paul actually commends them for being noble. Why? It's because they searched the scriptures as uh, he spoke to believers today in Zambia. Uh, I, I, I would say two things. One, read the word of God. Read the word of God. There's no option, mm -hmm. you know. Read the word of God. Secondly, take some time. You know, to learn about groups, mm -hmm. read, you know, read widely, mm -hmm. you know, ask questions as Tim said, you know, you meet them, ask questions, get to know, you know, that's, that, that's the way to go. And lastly, I think um, I would also argue that um, I think churches should take this as a very um, uh, serious thing um, in which churches must desire to equip uh, the elders and the believers in general about um, the cults who distort the grace, the cults who distort the biblical message of the gospel, mm. you know, and be intentional, and I repeat, mm. being intentional in equipping believers with the whole purpose of reaching out to those who distort the message. I think, I think, I think that would be my, my two-way <laughs> um, advice. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, Tim, let, let me be specific. How can pastors protect their flock from cultic groups? Well, this, my answer would be along the lines with uh, Kennedy, but let me phrase it uh, in, in my way is the best defense is a good offense. Mm -hmm. uh, Christians need to know and understand their Bible and what it teaches. So good education in the scriptures mm -hmm. is definitely the first place. Uh, one way cults can be described is they're a counterfeit. And for you to know if something is a counterfeit, watch it, you need to know what the original is. Mm -hmm. How can you possibly compare a, a counterfeit question know if it's real or not if you don't know what the real one's supposed to look like you don't even know whose picture is supposed to be on there you're not going to really be able to identify the counterfeit mm -hmm. so Christians should know and understand the Bible mm -hmm. and we mean far much more than just being able to say amen when our pastor preaches on Sunday we need to know for ourselves well where does the Bible say that mm -hmm. grace is a free gift from God where does the Bible say that Jesus is God some of these things are more difficult to find than we realize. We just can't expect to flip open our Bible and say, yes, mm -hmm. here are all the answers. Mm -hmm. And as Kennedy pointed out, I was thinking, Kennedy, as you were pointing this out, that some Christians want to leave the Bible on their couch and go in their room and pray. That's actually the way that some cults operate, is they will tell people, mm -hmm. you, you just pray and ask God, is this true? And he will let you know. So, no, that that is definitely not the way we go about it is we open our word of God we understand what is it teaching and then we then I would as far as your question Martin then have tell pastors not only teach the people the truth but help them understand how to engage mm -hmm. in these other groups once we know the Bible and we start looking at what other people believe um, 
it can help us develop a passion and compassion for them. Because if it weren't for God's grace, we could and should be where they are. Mm-hmm. Let us reach out and love to those who may be receiving the very same judgment that we deserve. Remember, we are not discussing people from praying. I think praying is very important. Amen. Yeah. We, 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 we are only saying, mm-hmm. you know, just praying alone um, may not be enough mm-hmm. as far as discernment is concerned. All right. Yeah, yeah I understand that uh, an ongoing uh, seminar in regard with understanding Counts and um, electrical groups, uh, and today is a nice day. Do you want to give a word of invitation to the listeners as as, as you wind up? Yes, um, uh, as, as uh, we've been saying here, you know, uh, discernment involves immersing oneself in God's word, um, but also it's very important also to know about what other groups believe in. Right, our dear listeners, uh, there you have it. I've been discussing with Tim Martin from. USA and also Kenneth Gondway from uh, Zambia and, and Kenneth Gondway is heading the, the department of uh, Center for Politics in Africa and specifically uh, Zambia and, and other southern areas. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.